I had you go to 2 Corinthians 11 a little bit ago. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> I like to keep things simple because I'm a simple-minded type. <laughs> you know, I heard a story a few years ago that a prayer a fellow was praying and he said, God, I've, I've done well so far today. I've not yelled at anybody. I have not lost my temper. I have not disrespected anyone. I haven't fallen into sin. I haven't said any things I shouldn't have said, but God, I'm about to get out of bed and I'm really going to need help now. <laughs> anybody, anybody else feel like that in your life sometimes? <laughs> I'm doing really, really well until about the time my feet hit the floor and then I need God's grace because <laughs> things can tend to go south from there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and 17, I don't know if I've... Uh, I don't know my whole life I've ever preached a message specifically on the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, communion as we often call it. But I want to do that today because it's such a depth of meaning, such a, such a meaning there. 1 Corinthians 11 and 17, it says, Now in this uh, that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there are be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Uh, for there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? I shall not praise you. I sh uh, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this, is, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that, he should not, that we should not be condemned in the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Father, I ask God that you will help us to get a grasp on the meaning, the depth of the meaning of what this is about, Lord. Sometimes we brush over it too much. Sometimes we take it too flippantly. Lord, help us not to do that. Help us to recognize the meaning and what you, what you are establishing here. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Not so long ago, I, uh, somebody had 
posted an article that talked about a play being done, I think, in Broadway or one of them places where basically the play was a mockery of the Lord's Supper. It was a, it was a mockery. It was, it, was, it was shaming it, making how foolish it is, how silly, ridiculous it is. That's a dangerous thing to do. You don't want to play with God that way. I just, I'm amazed at how people can, can have such an irreverence, even if they don't believe it. Even when I wasn't saved, I understood there was a reverence, there was a respect that, there, that was there for the things of, of God. And it's easy to get pulled into that flippancy. And the Bible says that because of that, because of unworthiness, taking it unworthily, there was many that were sick among them, and many had died. Now, what was going on in the New Testament church, in the early church, was not a, even close to what we see today. There was not a little tiny cup and a little tiny wafer of some kind that you ate. They were coming together for full-blown meals. They were spreading out meals. This is what happens with people so often. Did you notice he, he said in here, uh, there's divisions among you, and there's heresies. That word heresies there actually means factions. Or, de, or divisions, denominations among you. There are factions there. And the one thing that God seems to not want in His church the most is division and factions. But that was what was going on in that New Testament church. So they'd get together and, you know, they would, uh, they want to compare their food. My, my pie is better than that pie over there. And look at my casserole. It's so much better. The Lord's Supper is not the time for that. That's what potlucks are for. No, no, not, not even potlucks are for that. <laughs> there was, this, there was this, uh, this pride that came into it. The wealthy were considered one side and the poor were considered a lesser degree. The, the wealthy, the ones that had money and, and had means, they were able to eat and they were able to be satisfied. But those that didn't have the means to bring food did not often eat during that time. Paul was disgusted in it. He said, I don't praise you in what you're doing here. This is not what this is all about. This is nowhere near what the meaning of what's going on is. And so this is what's great about God's people. When God's people are operating as God's people are supposed to operate, there is no bank account numbers involved. There is no dress code. There is no one that, that's better or higher or of greater degree. Isn't that what James told us about? In fact, Galatians chapter 3 says when it comes to the, the salvation of God, there is no male or female, bond or free, Jew or Gentile. There's none of that. There's none of those distinctions. We are all one body. It doesn't matter if you make $100 million a year or $1,000 a year. You are same in the body of Christ. That family unity is not dependent on means, physical means in that way. And so he was angry. He was, he was disturbed by what he was saying. And then he goes on to say, if you take of this unworthily. Now people get hung up on that. And theologians fight over it. It's quite interesting to read all the different commentaries and all the theologians' battles back and forth. But the thing I think is a key, he said unworthily rather than unworthy. He wasn't talking about rising to a level of spirituality that you're not quite spiritual enough, you sinned this week, you did wrong this week, so you can't do it. Unworthily was the way it was being carried out, not the person that was involved in it. It was the fact that 
that they were flippant and joking and fu- thought it was funny. and something. It's nothing funny because this is representing the fact that Jesus Christ had to die on a cross because of what we did. There was nothing joking. There's no, no humor in it. It is a time where we come together and realize this is serious business. I remember when I was a kid, probably nine or ten years old, I was up at the Hedrick Ranch and my my cousin Steve and Will and I were all doing something. I'm not even sure what we were doing, but apparently it wasn't what we were supposed to do. And my Uncle Johnny walked out on the porch and he said, you be- boys better get serious right now. And it was like three pillars jumped up. We're serious. Whatever it was, we went and did what we were supposed to do. That guy scared me to death when I was a kid. <laughs> this, this, this whole passage here is kind of God saying, church, you better get serious. You better get serious. There's something to this. There's some depth here. It's not a joke time. It's not a play time. It's not a time to mock about the things of God. It's not to have bad motives of looking to see, let's compare ourselves one to another. Paul said that's foolishness, to compare ourselves one to another. My sin isn't as bad as your sin. Well, my sin is way better than your sin. That's silliness. You know what? Sin is sin, and all of them send you to hell outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus is what, what saves us and, and preserves us. But another thing that that means by unworthily is missing the true meaning of it. See, that was a central focus of what Paul said here. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance. This is what God actually shared with Paul. He said, I received this directly from the Lord. He said, this is done in remembrance of me. What happens to the church if we don't preach Jesus Christ and we don't preach the blood and we don't preach sin and we don't preach the sacrifice? You know what happens? It starts to forget those things. The church tends to move into this modern thing of you get and you get and you get and it's all about being blessed and being happy and being joyful and being peaceful and you forget that there is that solemn meaningful depth of the fact that Jesus Christ had to go to a cross. Too many churches are not preaching the cross anymore. Too many preachers are not preaching the blood of Jesus Christ anymore. I read a story this week that said, I believe it was 160 top evangelical leaders have come out with some kind of a letter they endorsed that were basically saying that we need to back off about preaching against homosexuality. We need to stop doing that. These are supposed to be evangelical leaders doing that. The church loses sight on truth if truth is not preached. The the church loses sight on the meaning. And what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to bring the church back to that point where we stop and we forget about Awanas and we forget about women's ministry and we forget about men's ministry and we forget about the singing ministry and we forget about the, 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 the run-of-the-mill preaching and all that and we are brought to the point where we realize once again that Jesus died on a cross and he shed his blood. And that's why we're here. This is the reason that we come together is that we celebrate the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. All those other things are peripheral. You don't have ministry without the cross. You don't have ministry without the blood. You don't have ministry without the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is, it's just a, a social group of some kind when you forget that those are the foundational pillars of the church. It's not church without 
the meaning that Paul said here that, that, that in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did. And so Paul's trying to tell them, we want you to, this is something that's important. It has to be done, but there's some problems we need to take care of first. We got to get rid of the divisions. The devil is a great divider. And I've talked about this the last couple of weeks. I'll mention it again. The devil is doing everything he can to divide the United States of America. Most sides don't even know what they're arguing about. They don't even know what they're protesting about. They have sent reporters in and asked them, you know, when they had the big women's march, they sent reporters in and they went to them and they said, can you tell me a right that you don't have now that you did have a couple of years ago? And none of them could answer. They're out there marching about all these rights they lost and they couldn't even name one. What is it? It's because the devil is a divider. He's trying to divide this nation. He's trying to bring division and and set this side against that side and that one's angry at this one and bring anger and hate and hostility. That's what the devil does. Well, thank God that never happens at church. (laughs) Whoops. But you know what? Sometimes it does happen in church. And Paul is directly dealing with that. And he said there needs to be no division within the church. No divisions. We come together. Well, I don't agree with them people. Great, sit on the other side of the church. I don't care. Don't allow the devil to divide God's people. And don't get clicky. I remember a preacher we had one time said, everybody, go sit by somebody you've never sat by before. (laughs) That's kind of neat. Everybody had to kind of, and it was like, okay. You know, we get comfortable with our, our little clique, our little group. Fortunately, we're small enough, we don't have a lot of cliques here, you know, only 10 or 12. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> we don't. We don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> but there should be no factions or cliques within the church. We are the body of Christ. We are one body. Isn't that what the Bible taught us? And teaches us? We are one body. There's not multiple bodies. And I think, and, and I've mentioned before, I, I think that in, a, in an odd way, God used denominations to take the, the gospel to the world, but I don't believe that God favors denominations. There shouldn't be Church of God, Assembly of God, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, this and that and the other thing. You know how the New Testament church had? One church. There was the church at Corinth. There was the church at Ephesus. There was the church at Laodicea or wherever you went. The church. Not the churches all over the place. And so that division, in an odd way, God seemed to use that even. God uses things that that are not even perfect to take the gospel message to the world. But there should not be those kinds of of divisions. And that word heresy, talking about that, those factions should never rise up within the church. We should always understand that no matter the, the position or the role... You know, I, I thought when during World War II when the, the Japanese or the Germans would take over a village, all of a sudden there was no rich or poor. There was nobody that had hundreds of acres and another one that was sleeping in a dumpster. There was just people that were all in the same concentration camp together. All of a sudden the bank account, you couldn't say, well, let me whip out a check here and take care of it. There was none, no taking care of it. All of a sudden, borders were gone. All of a sudden, divisions were gone, and they were one people. 
I've mentioned before, we can have our problems. People can be wrestling with cancer. They can wonder how their bank account's going to get taken care of. They, they just got laid off and they don't know what to do. One of their kids was acting like a hardhead and they come to church and they're heavy and they're worried and they don't know what to do with, with all of that and they have all that stress going on and others are so like, hey, I'm on top of the world. Everything's going the way that we want to. And then somebody walked through the back door over here with an AR-15. All the problems go away. No longer does your empty bank account matter in the least. No matter, no, it no longer matters that you got a pink slip at work. The only thing that matters is that person holding that gun back there. That's how quickly all those other problems can disappear. Or like happened what last week where that lady won, what was it, 700 and some million dollars in the lottery? I'm guessing her life changed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing things change. But poor gal, she, she took the lump sum, so she only got like $330 million after taxes. I hope she could survive on that. <laughs> so Paul said, what you guys are doing, he's addressing the church there, he said, what you guys are doing is not the Lord's Supper. Isn't that what he said there? What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. God has nothing to do with that. God has no place in that. And then he starts to tell them what it's all about. We should be tending to the poor, not ignoring the poor. We should be blessing those that don't have, not ignoring those that don't have. We shouldn't be lifting up our status. We should be using our status. We should be blessing, not cursing. When status becomes more important than ministry, it's not ministry. And unfortunately, that's become very popular in American churches nowadays. I don't understand it. I, 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 I know I harp on this sometimes. But you know those times when you're in the middle of the night and you can't sleep and you turn on the TV and they have camp meeting going on. And he's on there saying, if you'll just plant that $1,000 seed faith right now, plant, plant that $1,000, just go right that. There are, God just told me there are 50 people here that have $1,000 that are ready right now. If you'll sign that check and send it in here. And I'm sickened. I'm disgusted. How did the gospel become that? It didn't. It's terrible. It's horrible what they're doing. And, and they exploit people for what is supposed to be ministry. And I wonder, why am I the only one that's saying, what are you going to do with the money? What do you... He never mentions, hey, I've got this orphanage, and we're taking care of this, and we're taking care of that, and we send the money here. They never say that. They just say, send it to me. Just give it to me. Send that thing to me right now. And I was listening to him one time, and he said, if you'll sign that, that $1,000 check, that will activate the last seed that did not produce. And I'm like, so that means that last time you promised this and somebody wrote a check, it didn't work? And so we're supposed to do it again? What's that old saying? You fool me once, shame on me. You fool me twice, shame on you. Or the other way around. Shame, you fool me once, shame on you. you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. That's not what it's about. And then he said, not only are you leaving people hungry, you guys are partying. You're getting drunk at church. What? Church must have been a little different then than what I'm used to. <laughs> so this is supposed to be the Lord's Supper, and they're coming together, and what can you They're partying. They're getting drunk. They're drinking, and, 
and totally missing the meaning of what the whole thing was about. Everything that this was about, Paul said, I received of the Lord that also which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night that he was betrayed, took bread. The same night. Who was sitting there? His guys. His disciples. God's people. And a betrayer was sitting there. See, the thing, the Lord's Supper is not just for everybody. We don't put a sign out on the street that says, Come to church this Sunday, we're having the Lord's Supper. It's not for everybody. The Lord's Supper is for the saints of God. It is for the inner circle, if you want to say that. It is, it is for the group that serves the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just We, we open every, most things up to the public. You, know? you can come to our prayer meetings, you can come to our church service, you can come to our singings, whatever it is. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it is about God's people remembering what Jesus Christ did. This is a, in a we, don't, we don't go back and say, are you saved? Oh, you're not, you're not getting it. We don't do that. But it, it is really about the church. It's about God's people recognizing what this is about. Timing is crucial. Just before his betrayal, he said, I need you to remember this because you're about to go through some difficult times. You're about to be scattered all across this land, all across the world, you're going to be scattered. So just before that scattering, he said, let me remind you that you need to do this in remembrance of me. You know, it doesn't matter when you go to Italy or when you go to Britain or when you go to Africa or when you go to the New World or wherever it goes, you've got to take this message that, that Jesus Christ suffered and his body was broken and his blood was spilled. That's the message. The company is crucial, God's people, not just the general pulpit, not just the general public. So he gave his body in order to birth the body of Christ. See, it was through his broken body that the church became an entity. It is because of that death and that sacrifice where he died and, and, and was crucified. That lamb had to be sacrificed. Because without the lamb, it's just a social group. It's just a social meeting. If you take the lamb of God out of the church, you don't have the church. It becomes a social thing. Too many churches today are about helping the poor and encouraging the downtrodden and, and, and you know, sending missionaries. and It can be a hundred thousand other things, but if you forget Jesus Christ, it's not the church. It doesn't matter how much good is done. It doesn't matter how much money is given. It doesn't matter how kind they are. If they forget Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that was made, they are not the church. We have to remember that, and that's what this is about, bringing us back to that remembrance, bringing that back to the forefront in our heart and our mind. And then he signed a covenant with his blood. See, there was a 